free photo of me. Ah, uh, that's a good one. Wait, what's that? That's just a low battery warning. Now it's all, check out my RV and let's go four-wheeling. Maybe there's a little part of me that wanted to be seen. Well, Progressive helps people save when they bundle their home with their outdoor vehicles, so they've got other things to do now, Bigfoot. Wait, what did you just call me? Bigfoot. My name is Daryl. <laughs> now, in case you forgot or knew around here, my name is Daryl, okay? It is so good to be back home with you, and this is, this is always be home. Uh, now, I want to have a confessional heads up. First of all, I, um, I still wear a mask in public, I do. But I confess to you that my hand washing is now less than 13 seconds. I just wanted to tell you that, you know. Well, you know, the past uh, five months have uh, certainly been strange and unsettling. But I've learned some things in these past five months. I've learned a bunch. For one thing, I've learned how to shop online. I know how to shop online now. It's pretty exciting. I know how to do that. Except I messed up the other day, and I used my donor card instead of my credit card to purchase something online. Cost me an arm and a leg. It did. Yeah. I also surmised something from Facebook. I'm not on Facebook very much. My wife has an account. I don't. But I get on there once in a while to check out things, to see how people are doing and what they're up to. And here's what I surmised from Facebook. If they just would have called it the stay-at-home challenge at the get-go <laughs> and posted it on Facebook, I think the virus would be long gone by now. Yeah, I do. I've also learned something else. I've learned a different application of a familiar scripture. Uh, I'm still an avid walker. I walk every day, try to get in my steps every single day. And when I'm out walking in my neighborhood, I have reinterpreted the words of Jesus to mean that a good neighbor might actually pass by on the other side of the road. I, that's a, just a different application. I've also done this. I've also learned how to deal with disappointment. Our family was supposed to go on an Alaska cruise in June. The whole family, we were so looking forward to that. We were so pumped about that. But like many of your plans, it got canceled. And when I got word that it was canceled, I went downstairs and told my suitcases. And ever since, I've been dealing with emotional baggage. I, I have. Aren't you glad you came today? Aren't you glad you came? I am. One more thing I've learned, and that is to be an overcomer. I mean, I am proud to announce to you that I have overcome my addiction to chocolate, marshmallow, and nuts. Though I can't lie, it was a rocky road. Okay, I can't lie to you. Uh, seriously, with all that has transpired um, thus far in 2020, and I'm not just talking about the pandemic and the riots and the shootings and uh, the racial division, the injustice, the political uh, posturing. Personally, it's been really a tough time for me. Um, on Easter Sunday, uh, my brother uh, passed away. Uh, he died of congestive heart failure. Uh, he was just shy of uh, 68 years old. And uh, COVID made it so much more difficult because he was in the hospital for several days and he could have no visitors. And that was so hard on him and so hard on the family. Uh, he was put in hospice on Good Friday and sent home so they're able to have a little time with him. And he died on Sunday. Because of the strict COVID con uh, restrictions out of the state of Maryland, I couldn't go to the funeral. They would only allow 10 people maximum, that's it. And my, my brother's immediate family his wife and kids and their spouses and older grandchildren, my mom made 10. It was so hard, it was so hard not being there. 
Now, I got to tell you that uh, um, being the younger brother, until then, I had never had a day in my life that Dennis wasn't in my life. And I loved him so, and I, I miss him dearly. So while I know it's only August, I can't wait. I tell you, I've never been so ready for a year to leave. I've never been so ready for the new earth to come when the way of Jesus will become the way of the world. So ready for that. A few weeks ago, Tyson got a hold of me and asked if I'd come and preach this weekend. And uh, they're going to be in a series of favorite hit songs. He said, I could pick out my favorite hit song and just go with it, uh, just develop a message around. I said, oh, that sounds like fun. Now, I've got a lot of favorite hit songs. If you would ask my grandkids what is Papa Darrell's or Bigfoot's favorite song, uh, they, they would probably tell you that it's I, Henry VIII, I Am. I sing that with them a lot. That 1965 song came out then with Herman's Hermits. In fact, I was with our grandkids a few days ago, and I asked them to sing it for you. So here's my grandkids singing for you, Herman's Hermits, this song, Henry VIII. I, Henry VIII, I am. Henry VIII, I am, I am. I got married to the witcher next door. She's been married seven times before, and everyone was a Henry. Of course, the second verse is same as the first. Come on, join along. Of course, the second verse is the same as the first. If you know the song, I want you to sing it with me now. Okay, here we go. Here we go. You ready? I, Henry VIII, I am. Henry VIII, I am, I am. I got married to the widow next door. She'd been married seven times before, and everyone was a Henry. Wouldn't take a Willie or a Sam, no Sam. I'm the eighth old man named Henry. Henry the eighth, I am, I am. Henry the eighth, I am. Great job, gang. Great job. We're probably the only church in America that sang that song this morning. Okay. I thought about picking out that song, and I thought, man, I could, I could preach on that, and I could preach a sermon on mate selection. I thought that would be, nah. then I thought, nah, nah. Then I thought how here in Greenville, Bond County, country music is so popular, so popular. And so I thought of that song first sung by Johnny Cash in 1967. I fell in to a burning ring of fire. And it reminds me of a story I've, I've never told it here before, but I've been gone long enough. I think I can tell it now. Uh, and here it is. There was an older gentleman here in the county, great guy, great guy, who passed away. And um, uh, he wasn't a part of our church family, but some of his family were and still are. And so I went to the memorial service and the graveside. Now, he was a veteran, and so at the graveside service, uh, they were going to have the honor guard, you know, do the 21-gun salute, you know, at the end, and, and they did that. Then they had this speaker rigged up on top of the vehicle so they could play taps through a cassette player in the car. And they didn't have a bugler, so they were going to do that. So they finished the 21-gun salute, and on cue, this guy inside the car pushed a button to play taps, but he evidently pushed the wrong button because instead of taps, we heard, guess what, Johnny Cash singing, I fell into a burning ring of fire. It went down, down, down. I mean, yeah, just... Uh, uh, <laughs> you, I mean, people were losing it. I lost it. Yeah. Okay. So I thought I could pick that song, and man, I could preach a sermon about hell. I thought, that'd be great, preach about hell. And I thought, nah, I'll leave that to Tyson to do that, you know. 
And, uh, but you know, uh, uh, hell is a real place. It's an awful, awful place, and we dare not neglect preaching about it, but I'll leave that to him. Then I thought of uh, what is right now my favorite contemporary Christian song, the song Waymaker. You know that song? Boy, I love that song. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. I love that song. I absolutely love that song. I thought I could pick out that song and I could preach about my God and who he is and what my God does. How even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. But I thought that is too much to get in one sermon. And then I thought of probably my favorite, my favorite song in recent times. It's from the 2017 movie, um, The Greatest Showman. And it's the song, A Million Dreams. I mean, I love the song. Cause every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head. A million dreams are keeping me awake. I think of what the world could be, a vision of the one I see. A million dreams is all it's gonna take. A million dreams for the world we're gonna make. And I thought of that song, and I thought, oh my God, as a dreamer. And how my God just doesn't have a million dreams. He has billions of dreams. He has a dream for everyone who has, is, who will ever walk upon this planet. And my God's dream is this, that everyone would know him and love him and spend forever with him. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all people, people of every tribe, people of every color, people of every tongue, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In fact, I'm convinced that the only reason, the only reason that our God has not yet sent his son Jesus back to this earth to draw the curtain on human history as we know it is because of that dream. It's because of that desire. It's prompted by his amazing grace, which brings me to the hit song that I want to focus on for the next few moments, the song Amazing Grace. It was written by a guy by the name of John Newton. Let me tell you his story. John Newton was born back in 1725. Now, his life was a mess. He worked on a ship, and his shipmates, they, they hated him. Almost all of them hated him. He was a wild man. He was a raging drunk. He was violent. His nickname, believe it or not, John Newton's nickname was the Great Blasphemer. Yeah, that's how bad he was. They called him the Great Blasphemer. His language, if you probably heard the phrase before, cusses like a sailor. That probably came from John Newton right there. In fact, his captain said of John Newton, and I quote, not only did he use the worst language I've ever heard in my life, but he created new words that exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. I mean, he took it to a whole new level. And yeah, John was so hated, the great blasphemer, that one time he fell off the ship. And his crewmates, you know what they did? They didn't throw life preservers to him. They threw harpoons at the guy. They actually did. He was so arrogant and so rebellious that one time the captain stripped him naked and had him flogged eight dozen times in front of 350 men. John Newton was so honked off by that that he decided that he was going to kill that captain and then take his own life. But before he could carry out his plan, this monster storm blew up and everybody on that ship thought that they were going to die. John's best friend, maybe his only friend on that ship, who was holding on for dear life right next to him, got blown off the ship, never to be seen again. And John Newton thinks his life is about to end, thinks it's over. And in this moment of his greatest fear and his greatest trial in his life, you know what he did? He called out to the God that he had blasphemed. He said, Lord, have mercy on us all. 
And when he survived that brutal storm, he suddenly realized that in the moment of his greatest desperation, he had called on the God that he had been hating. And so he thought, maybe, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there is. So he started reading the Word of God. And guess what happened? The man was transformed by the grace of God. And he put pen to paper. And he wrote the lyrics in 1772 to the song that we know as Amazing Grace. Yeah, the man known as the great blasphemer who experienced the amazing grace of God wrote these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace. Everybody say grace. Yeah, t'was grace that ha- taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieves. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Wow, what an incredible song. It's a favorite of many. I mean, you can get on Amazon.com, and you can find 4,000 different renditions of this song, Amazing Grace. I mean, it comes in every style. It crosses every border. It reaches any and every ear and heart. When it's sung at church, you know what I notice? I notice people stand a little bit taller to sing it. I notice people sing a little bit louder, a little bit higher. Literally hundreds of hymnals have been published and gone out of print, you know. But amazing grace can be found in every single one of them. Hey, I want to talk with you about the powerful, unfathomable, amazing grace of God. Are you ready for this? Can I get an oh yeah? Oh yeah, here we go. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you didn't bring yours, of course, the words will be on the screen. Now, in this chapter, Paul kind of rambles on about God's grace. It's really kind of funny how he does it. He breaks, I mean, all sorts of grammatical rules. He gets so excited, he starts sentences, but he doesn't finish them. He just has these run-on sentences, you know. It's like he can't get a complete thought out. It's like he's writing down his thoughts on paper as fast as he can. Craig Rochelle summarizes Ephesians 2 in three thoughts, and I think he's so spot on. I want to share them with you. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. The first big theme that the Apostle Paul shows us is this. He shows us what we were. He shows us what we were. Everybody say, you were. Okay, listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you are not today what you once were. Paul says, you were, and then he shows us the theme of, but God. Everybody say, but God. Okay, you were one thing, but God intervened, and then he shows us how God intervened, and God intervened by grace. Three thoughts. You were, but God, by grace. You were one thing, but you are no longer that one thing if you're in Christ. Why? Because you had a but God moment, and it's only by his grace, my friends, not by your works, not by your your goodness, not by your power, but you were and you are not now because of the but God moment, you've been transformed by the grace of our God. Let me start with you were in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says this, as for you, you what? Let's say it out loud. Let's say it out loud together. As for you, you were what? You were dead in your transgressions and your sins. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been changed, you've been transformed, you are not now what you once were. Now you're forgiven. Now you're made new. But you were dead in your sins. In verse 3, he says, all of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. What's he talking about? He's not talking about our skin. He's talking about our sin nature. That, That part of us, that the nature that is apart from God. 
You are living for the desires of the flesh, he says. You are following its desires and thoughts like the rest. Here it is again. We were. Everybody says we were. We were. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, that's not a real positive thought, I know. But listen to me. If you are without Christ, you are dead in your sins. And the Bible teaches that we are actually deserving of wrath. The wrath of God. We've been called enemies of God because of our sin nature. I understand that's not popular today. In today's culture, there'd be a lot of people who'd be like, I'm not a bad person. Nah, I've got a good heart. I'm not as bad as a bunch of other people. I'm not a bad person. But here's the truth. You are a bad person. You are, and so am I. In prepping for this message, I came across an article entitled, 24 Things Everyone Has in Common. It's kind of interesting. It listed things like everybody likes clean sheets and the cold side of the pillow. I didn't realize there was a cold side of the pillow. But evidently there is, and everybody likes it, you know. The article said we all like the smell of freshly cut grass. And we all want to love and to feel loved, you know. And we all pace around the house when we're on our cell phone. Watch out for those roaming charges. And we all hate traffic. And we all hate the sound of snoring which is so true. And the thing about snoring is that the one who snores always falls asleep first. Isn't that the way it is? It's true. By the way, 46% of adults in America snore occasionally. 25% snore habitually. And not only do people snore, cats and dogs are also well-known snorers. Did you know that? My daughter has a dog, a puggle named Tonks, who certainly does Saw some logs, a lot. So much so I suggested to Suzanne that she might want to see about getting her a CPUP machine. Thought that might be good. We don't like the sound of snoring from anyone or anything. And nobody likes running out of bread, milk, or toilet paper. That's why people were freaking out so back in March and April when we were asked to quarantine, you know? By the way, if you needed 144 rolls of toilet paper, for a 14-day or even a 30-day quarantine, you probably should have been seeing a doctor long before COVID-19, okay? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Something else everyone has in common. We've all stubbed our toe on the corner of the bed. Ouch, we've done that. And we've all, we all get bored. Hopefully not right here, right now, hopefully. Something else that we all share in common that wasn't on the list but should have been? We're all sinners. We've been born, and by nature, we're actually sinners because we are sons and daughters of sinners. All the way back to when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we inherit a sin nature. I'll repeat, by nature, we are not good. I mean, we lie, we steal, we cheat, we lust, we gossip, we speak and post hateful things, and on and on. Hey, we're just a bunch of moral and ethical foul-ups, and as Paul said, we are deserving of wrath. And why am I hitting so hard on this? Here's why. Because we need to understand that guilt, acknowledging what we've done wrong, is often the starting point for grace. Please get this. In other words, if we don't see ourselves as sinners, as sinners we'll never see our need for a Savior. Let me repeat that. If we don't see ourselves as a sinner, 
We'll never see our need for a Savior. And the good news about Jesus is Jesus didn't come for the righteous. That's what he said. He said he came for the sinners. He didn't come for the healthy and those who had it all together. He came for the sick. He came for the broken. He came for the hurting. He came for those in need of a spiritual cleansing and healing. Hey, he came for you. And he came for me. And praise him, he came to forgive us of our sins, to free us from our sins forever. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, you were. And then he says, but God. You were, but God. I want you to think of Paul, and I want you to think of his story. What did Paul do? Well, maybe he didn't cuss like a sailor. But let me tell you what the guy did. Paul took the lives of Christians. The guy who wrote nearly two-thirds of the New Testament before he became a Christ follower, he actually took the lives of God's children. Now, I think it's just my opinion, but I think a lot of people, they hear that, and they're like, oh, that happened years before. It's not that big of a deal. Hey, it really is a big deal. I mean, if you compare to what he did to what happens now, I mean, what he did is equal to what we see in recent times where some very evil men take Christians and line them up, have them kneel down, put a cloth over their head, and ask them to deny Christ or die. And if they don't denounce their faith, they take a blade and behead them of those who are standing by Christ. That's happened in Libya. I mean, that's what happens sometimes today. And that's exactly what Paul did. Only the method was different. He would take stones, and tons of people would pick them up with them, and they would throw them at Christians. They'd stone them. For how long? As long as it took. It'd take hours for them to breathe their last breath. It was a brutal death. And that's what the apostle did. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's Paul's story. Just imagine if you could sit down with him and listen to him say, hey, I was the guy who killed them. I did it. I hated them, everything about them. I mean, I was on my way to the high priest, breathing murderous threats. I mean, strategizing how I could rid the world of these people of the way, is what they were called. How I could get rid of these Jesus followers. When all of a sudden, a light, boom, came out of the sky. One moment I could see, then I couldn't see. I was totally blind. I was blind. And a voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, the name before my conversion. Why do you persecute me? And I knew who it was. And I said, who are you, Lord? And this voice sent me to a man named Ananias, a man who should have hated me, a man who should have feared me. But instead of cursing me, this man loved me. I mean, I deserve nothing but persecution back. And he laid hands on me, and he prayed for me, and when he did, these like scales fell from my eyes. And all of a sudden, I could see again. I was blind, but now I see. And by the grace of God, this man baptized me. And this man spoke into my life, and he told me that God had called me, had called me Paul, the one who had killed Christians, to go and declare the resurrection power of the one whose followers I had hated and persecuted. I was dead. I was the worst of the worst. I was bad to the bone. I was the most brutal of the filthy sinners. But God, but God who is rich in mercy, you were but God. 
And that's exactly how he describes it in Ephesians 2.4. He says this, but God, somebody say, but God. Okay, he says, but God who is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were, you were, but God, even though we were dead because of our sins, he, God, gave us life. And when did he do it? When he raised Christ from the dead. What does that mean to us today? For years and years in the Old Testament, the people of God would gather together once a year and have a celebration, the Passover celebration. And they would take an innocent one-year-old male lamb and they would sacrifice that lamb and they would take the blood and they'd take the blood of that lamb and they'd place it on top of the doorpost, put some blood on either side. And when that would happen, the death angel would come and pass over them and they would live. Why? Because they had a temporary sacrifice for their sins. They had the temporary sacrifice of an innocent lamb. Fast forward to the New Testament. Who is Jesus? He is the Lamb of God who was slain for the forgiveness of sins. In the Old Testament, if you can imagine taking the blood and placing it on top of the door, what would happen to some of that blood? It would fall down, wouldn't it? Fall down to the bottom. And there you have hundreds of years before the cross of Jesus in the Old Testament, a picture of that which is the cross foreshadowing the blood of the Lamb of God that Jesus would spill and give for the forgiveness of our sins. And there's Jesus, hanging on the cross, suffering brutally, as the creation mocked the Creator. He had a crown of thorns on his head. They fastened his arms and his feet. And Scripture says, Jesus cried out to the Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But God, who was so rich in mercy and loved us so much, then Jesus looked up to heaven and declared, Tetelestai, it is finished. God, I've done everything you sent me to do. And then scripture says he declared, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last breath and he gave his life. Why? Because greater love has no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. And at that moment, the sky went dark, and the earth shook and crumbled, and all those who were followers of Jesus, the disciples and the followers looked on and were like, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? Day one, day two, day three. On Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, and they found the stone had been rolled away. And there was this angelic being there looking on, who posed the question to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. Christ is risen from the dead. Praise him. Jesus beat death in triple overtime. Dead. But God, who is so rich in mercy and loved us so much, forgave our sins and changed our life when he raised Christ from the dead. Hey, friends, you were, but God, by grace, Here's what Paul declared in verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2. He said, it's for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hey, it's not by works. It's by grace. It's by grace. It's by grace. Not by works. It's by grace. Not by human efforts, but by grace. Not by religion, but by grace. What about the grace of God? Let me tell you about the grace of God. One time Jesus came upon this woman been caught in the act of adultery. The law said to stone her. And all the religious hypocritical men there were like, put her to death. Put her to death. 
Remember what Jesus did? Jesus stooped down in the dirt and he began writing something in the dirt. We don't know exactly what he wrote, but many believe he wrote down the sins of those men who were saying to Stoner because one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they skadoodled out of there. That's the first time I've ever used the word skadoodled in a sermon. But that's what they did. They skadoodled. They hightailed it out of there. And then Jesus knelt down beside this broken and sinful woman and said, Ma'am, where are your accusers? And she looked up through her tears and said, There are none. And then by grace, by grace, Jesus said, Go now, be free, and leave your life of sin. You were but God by grace. Jesus told about a father who had two boys. One of the boys said, Dad, I want what is mine. I want my share of the inheritance, and I want it now. And he went off, and he blew it all. He lived a sinful, a brutally broken life. Eventually, he came to his senses, and he realized, hey, my dad's servants have it better than I have. I'm going back to my father's house, and I'm going to throw myself on his mercy. What he didn't know was that his daddy had been waiting and longing and hoping and praying for the day his son would return. And when he saw him afar off, remember the story? He ran to his son. And when he got to him, what did he do? He took his robe. He took his robe and he covered the filth of his son with this very clean robe. And he said, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And by grace, the father said, kill the fatted calf. Let's throw a party because my son is not what he once was. And Jesus on the cross hung between two criminals, two thieves. One hurled insults at Jesus and said, you saved others, save us and save yourself. But the other one who was completely guilty looked on and said, this man Jesus has done nothing wrong. And Jesus said to this man, Humania, couldn't do any good work now. Couldn't join the church, couldn't give an offering, couldn't be baptized, couldn't help a little old lady cross the road couldn't do any type of religious work, who was completely guilty. Jesus, by grace, looked at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. You were but God by grace. I know there are a bunch of you here today. You were dead in your sins. You were broken. You were hurting. But you've been changed by the grace of God. And I'm certain there are those who are here today those who will be listening online, you recognize that there's something missing in your life. You're desperate for something more. Let me tell you what you're desperate for. You're desperate for a but God moment. Because let me tell you, in one moment, one decision, one Savior can change everything. When you call on the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name, when you surrender your heart to him, he forgives your sins. You are made right with God, not by your works, but by his grace. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. That's what John Newton did. Let me read to you some more of the words of his hit song. I want you to feel the power. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace, you were but God by grace. Tis grace, tis grace, tis grace, tis gra God's grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Of course, he's talking about heaven. I sure do miss my brother. 
There's a picture of them. I want to show you now that uh, when we were uh, eight, nine years old. From the get-go, we were very different from each other. Um, as kids, uh, he was like a bean pole. Me, I was built like a fire plug. Every summer before school started, I remember our folks would take us to the Sear and Roebuck store in downtown Baltimore and buy school clothes. And they'd take him to the Slim Jim section and me over to the Husky department. We were different physically as well as um, personality-wise and interest and taste. Now, mind you, I learned a lot from my brother. My brother taught me how to dance. He did. I learned to do that while waiting for him to come out of the bathroom. I did. We had just one bathroom in the house in which we grew up. Can you relate to that? And we often had some moments, a point of contention between us over that. We had our moments over that and other things. The fact is, brothers tend to fight a little bit. But at the end of the day, we always had each other's back and would always be there for each other. And through the years, those miles apart, we remained close. Again, we were different in lots of ways, but we shared some commonalities, and one is our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my brother certainly did. In the early 1800s, an unknown writer penned another verse to John Newton's hymn. It reminds us of what await those who love the Lord and declares what it will be like in heaven, in the presence of our good God and his forever family where all the garbage and all the sin and all the pain and all the sorrow and all the disappointment of this world will be no more. And here's what this unknown writer wrote. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to do what, my friends? Sing God's praise than when we first begun. Can I get another oh yeah? Yeah. That's certainly a hope that changes everything. We're going to sing this great hymn. And I want us to sing it to his glory. And if you have a decision to make today, I mean, if you're here and you're like, I need his grace, I need his grace, I need his grace. God, I trust you to forgive me. God, change me, make me new, be first in my life, be my Lord, my Savior, Jesus. Save me by your grace. If you need to make that decision, you come, we'll guide you as you confess his name and are baptized into him. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to make this your church home. You've already done those things and you're ready to say, I'm going to be a part of this family. Maybe you're here today in need of prayer. There's staff here who would love to pray with you. Whatever is on your heart, come as we stand and worship our mighty God.